AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. No Chip, no Davis, no problem, probably. Do not adjust your radio or preferred digital listening device. This is the voice of me, producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and as the saying goes, the show must go on. Hope you brought your appetite, because we're talking beef this morning. Live via Farm Journal broadcast from South Bend, which has a river that bends to the east and is located in northern Indiana in the Midwest, this is AgriTalk. This morning we'll have conversations with Clint Walensiak, VP of Product Services at Certified Angus Beef, Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady, and Mark Gardner of Gardner Angus Ranch. And now, the guest host of this morning's AgriTalk, direct from Drovers, Greg Henderson. Greg, how are you doing? Hello, Greg. Well, it didn't take long, but we finally have our first glitch of the morning. I don't know what's going on with Greg, but he is definitely connected. All right. In any case, while I, I'm just going to get right to the news then while we try to figure out at the same time what's going on with Greg over there. Uh, last night, the Senate approved the continuing resolution with 87 voting for and 11 against This includes an extension of the 2018 Farm Bill through September of next year, plus offsetting funding from USDA's biorefinery, renewable chemical, and bio-based product manufacturing assistance program. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping met at the APEC summit to address various economic, trade, and geopolitical issues. Some of the items brought up by the U.S. include China limiting the export of chemicals used to make fentanyl and human rights issues. Israeli forces have seized control of Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital and claim to have found weapons, technological equipment, and a Hamas command center in the MRI building. Meanwhile, Ukraine has been advancing towards Crimea, taking a foothold on Dnipro River's east bank. The state of New Hampshire will remain the first host of the presidential primary. Voters in the Granite State will head to the polls on January 23rd. Good for them. They just cut down on the political ad season. The rural Main Street economy slumps to lowest level in three years. This is based on the rural Main Street index done at Creighton University. Some of the November 2023 survey results... For a third straight month, the overall rural Main Street index sank below growth neutral to a three-year low. Banker economic confidence dropped to its lowest level since inflation of the survey in 2006. For the first time since January of this year, the checking deposit index advanced above growth neutral. For the fifth time in the past six months, farm equipment sales declined. Approximately 84.5% of bankers urge the Federal Reserve to make no changes to interest rates at its next meetings on December 12th and 13th. The cost of Thanksgiving 
dinner down slightly from record high in 2022. The American Farm Bureau Federation's 38th annual survey provides a snapshot of the average cost of this year's classic holiday feast for $10, which is $61.17 or less than $6.20 per person. This is a 4.5% decrease from last year's record high average of $64.05, but a Thanksgiving meal is still 25% higher than it was in 2019, which highlights the impact of high supply costs and inflation have had on food prices since before the pandemic. Now, that is all I have for the news, and I have to see what is going on over here with uh, Greg Henderson. Greg, can you hear me? I can, Joe. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for being our host today. Uh, How are things over at Drover's? Well, absolutely. Um, glad to be here, Joe. And Drovers is, uh, you know, we're we're um, doing great and looking forward to this uh, uh, rainy weekend that's coming into Kansas City. And uh, we're behind a little bit, so we could use the moisture, but uh, uh, maybe it'll clear off for Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah, that'd be nice, of course, for the holidays. But I don't begrudge the rain whenever it comes anymore. Since I've been working here at uh, Farm Journal, I hear how important it is to all of our farmers and ranchers, absolutely. of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. Um, you, uh, you've been uh, working on a story about uh, retail beef prices. In, yeah, uh, absolutely, October. Joe. So uh, your talk about the, the Thanksgiving dinner uh, decrease in price a little bit and, and, and inflation and that kind of falls into uh, the subjects we're going to cover today on on AgriTalk. But meat prices have accelerated in October, climbing 4% over last year in the CPI index. And the overall food index rose 3%. Now that's uh, in relationship to core inflation, which increased 4% over a year ago during October. And, and so in October, we saw that low inflation in combination with a sharper pullback uh, on volume in the meat case. And uh, meat dollar sales were down about 1.4% during October. And at retail, the industry sold, Joe, $2.4 billion. Mm. Now, that was up 4% from last year, but down about 3% in uh, total dollars. Mm-hmm. So the other note uh, is that retail beef prices reached an alt a new all-time high according to USDA uh, with the all fresh beef retail price at 7 $7.94 $7. a pound at 69 cents a pound higher than last year and the highest in 12 months. Wow. And that compares with the total meat price average that would be all meats all cuts of 4.63 per pound. Yeah. So uh, does uh, does the Henderson household uh, have turkey on Thanksgiving? Well, actually, we have at times, but uh, we also have uh, kind of converted to beef in the last few years. Really? Um, yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, typically we also have a ham available. Okay. So, um, um Turkey's not a favorite with uh, w- with the older older generation of Hendersons at, around the table. I see, because you know, I was going to ask you if you did have turkey on, say, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Do you, do you feel like you're you're being unfaithful to the beef industry at those times? Do you have like a little guilt uh, 
that you have to kind of say, oh, <laughs> well, it's not worth so much. It. It's, it's worth it's, it. It tastes so good. <laughs> especially at, at Christmas, you know, um, we go with the uh, prime rib at Christmas, and Ooh. that's a tradition at the Henderson household. So uh, I don't feel guilty about uh, no. eating a little um, uh, other products. Uh, well, gosh, prime rib on Christmas. You can't go wrong there. All right. Excellent. Absolutely. And of course, to uh, read more about what uh, Greg is reporting on, you can always go to drovers.com, correct? That's absolutely right. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Greg Henderson of drovers.com. Ordinarily, you'd be done right now, but you're just getting started. And we're going to be along for the ride, folks. So stick around for the conversation Greg will soon have with Clint Walensiak of Certified Angus Beef. You guys are going to be talking about, uh, can you give us a little preview of... Uh, it's yeah, going we're going to, be- to talk about uh, beef demand and what the holidays mean and, and uh, how CAB uh, works with retailers and, and uh, food service to promote their brand and uh, you know give us some insight into overall beef demand. Outstanding. That's going to be a good conversation. My mouth's already watering, and every time we talk about anything like beef or pork or turkey or whatever, I'm like, oh, i got to have that for dinner tonight. Anyway, stick around, folks. More of AgriTalk coming up right after this. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by Solutions, which is excited to launch Rhizozorb, the first fertilizer technology proven across hundreds of field trials to improve grower ROI by 20% and maintain or increase yield with less applied phosphate per acre. And welcome back to AgriTalk. This is producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, who just remembered to turn himself off at the last minute during the last commercial break. Sorry about that. And uh, with me is our host for today, Greg, this morning, Greg Henderson of Drovers. Hello, Greg. Good morning, Joe. And take it away. Yes, Joe, we, uh, we're excited to have uh, Clint Wellencheck, the VP of Product Services at the Certified Angus Beef Program. And Clint, you're in Worcester, Ohio, and welcome to AgriTalk. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm reading the statistics from CAB, you guys had uh, another great year that just wrapped up, and I believe it was the third highest year in sales, and 1.227 billion pounds, and that's uh, the eighth uh, year of over 1 billion pounds of CAB products sold, correct? That's correct, yeah. It's uh, been a pretty exciting year as we wrapped up our physical there at the end of September, and uh, 
you know, as as you can imagine, the clock rolls back to zero now. So we're uh, already looking into physical 24 and excited what lies ahead. So, Clint, tell me, what does a, um, what did you do as the VP of product services? Well, that's uh, it's a good question. I wonder that myself some days. But, uh, you know, myself and the team that I work with here directly, uh, primarily we work with our packer suppliers. So those those companies and those partners that uh, are actually processing the cattle, uh, working with USDA to get them certified into the brand and uh, and obviously putting that product in a box and, and representing that product's first entry into the marketplace. But you also uh, deal with retailers and food service people, correct? We do. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, as we think about uh, uh, really just the buying and selling and, and our goal is, is ultimately to get as much certified Angus beef product in a box and maybe more importantly, getting it into the hands of uh, other retail food service and export partners that can really, you know, get it to the consumer and uh, and represent that product as quality product and obviously uh, from a brand standpoint. So a lot of interaction with those folks as well. Just, you know, what are the dynamics? What are we seeing in the marketplace um, uh, supply situation, especially right now, as we think about not just uh, today and tomorrow, but really the next 24 months? What does that look like and what should they be prepared for? So, Clint, I know that your primary focus is on pushing CAB product, but your interaction with packers, retailers, food service is really why I wanted you on this morning, because I want you to tell me what you're seeing in terms of beef demand. We've, we've seen that it's been, everybody's calling it strong throughout the last couple of years, even with this high inflation, right? So tell us what you're seeing about those consumers that make them keep coming back to beef. Well, excuse me. Well, I think, uh, you know, long-term trend as far as quality goes within the beef industry has um, has really supported the efforts. And I think what we're seeing on the demand side, um, you know, you touched on it there in kind of the opening session uh, about where we're at from an average retail price on beef and some of those things. And the product keeps moving. And, and that's just super encouraging from our standpoint to see that even with these uh, these prices where they're at, that we still have people going out there and actively pursuing that eating experience that beef delivers for them. Um, no doubt, we're still gonna continue to get pressure from the other proteins, whether that be the holiday here with the ham and, and hams and turkeys, um, or even on just all the other, uh, you know, 50 to, to or so weeks of the year, uh, when we've gotta have something else on the plate. And so. Um, definitely seeing retailers having to be in a position uh, to manage that. Are they going to put pork, chicken, beef? What are they going to lead with in those retail ads that they put out every week? And what's their motivation? You know, are they looking to drive gross dollars and units? Are they looking to maximize their percent margin? Uh, or are they just simply looking to drive foot traffic uh, for the entire store, not just the meat case? And so, uh, lots of things that they're plugging into that decision process. And while we may not win all 52 weeks of the year, um, beef is still holding strong to maintain representation, whether that be the value cuts more, you know, chucking round items and maybe ground beef versus the steaks, uh, keeping that balanced and then obviously uh, keep it in balance with what the holiday or the seasonal demands may be. Sure. So uh, CAB has been a, leader in, 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 in 
giving products, new products to consumers. I know you, in the last couple of years, you've started a grass fed product, for instance, uh, done some other things to help promote uh, uh, CAB. Is that where the industry is going? Are we going to have to continue to uh, evolve to give these consumers new items, new products? And and it, is that consumer changed? You know, Greg, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would probably say that uh, for the most part, the foundational components of, of beef products and, and again, that eating experience that it delivers and so forth, that's where we start. You know, we refer to our traditional product line uh, makes up the lion's share of our total volumes. But uh, as long as we keep that high quality eating experience front of mind, we also need to keep an eye out, whether it be the natural aspects um, or, as you mentioned, potentially the grass fed component. As long as we can deliver a product uh, that still meets those eating expectations and maybe has some of these other attributes that at least a portion of the of the customer base finds valuable, uh, then we're going to go ahead and pursue those and see if we can check those boxes as well. Um, but really, I think it, it, it you know still the again that traditional product line would be what keeps us in the middle of the road. We know the percentage of choice and prime carcasses are increasing. And uh, last year, CAB had 5.8 million carcasses qualify. Um, do you see that? Uh, let's put it this way. Does CAB view any problems ahead in getting cattle to qualify? From a qualification standpoint, um, I, I'm, I'm going to give that a soft no. How about that? Okay. Uh, the reason I say that is I think when we think about the incentives and the signals that the marketplace is putting out there, uh, whether that be to the feeder or the cow-calf sector, uh, you know, those are pretty strong signals that indicate we need more quality. And so whether it be the genetic aspects and breeding decisions and so forth or how those cattle are managed, um, uh, I'm not going to say we have no concern, at least in the short term, because we know in the short term, these cattle, you know, the Feeders in particular, they've, they've got to manage those cattle to a profit and, and follow, the follow the market signals as they need to. But long term, we're pretty optimistic at, at what uh, the supply of, of quality beef looks like. So I, I want to touch on price just a, a, a moment. And you're a premium, premium quality product, CAB is. So is price ever... Um, do you ever see a pushback on price? I mean, consumers want your product and they're willing to pay up for it. And and we know there's $182 million in premiums that were given, uh, paid to producers last year. Is is there a price uh, uh, ceiling? I think the short answer to that is, is yes. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, every day uh, price is in the conversation, whether that be just the overall price of a, of a given item. Or in the case of certified Angus beef, the price of those products relative to the commodity market, let's say the commodity choice market, for example, and what those spreads may be. Um, so we definitely we definitely deal with that uh, on a regular basis, again, as all of our partners are trying to maximize their profitability and, and their overall business. You touched on that, at that price and that commodity price. Does is that USDA boxed beef price that that's a negotiated price, correct? It would be. Um, and, 
you know, if you think about, or as I think about, you know, how, how ultimate price has arrived and let's just, let's just limit it to between um, packer processors and that initial wholesale uh, transaction out into the marketplace, lots and lots of variables that come into play. Um, you know, uh, think about things, for example, on the retail side, how product may be priced to a relatively small or independent retailer that, you know, just a few boxes a week compared to other retailers that are going to be pulling uh, dozens of truckloads of product on a weekly basis. Uh, and some of those mechanisms uh, um, can just vary. But uh, again, back to, to the certified things, beef product, particularly a lot of times it's, 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 it's traded as much on the spread relative to, as you pointed out, that USDA quote, um, you know, a lot of times is it three day averages, five day averages, previous week average, things like that, that uh, we often find uh, uh, our customers trading product on under the formula classification. And your customers, uh, retailers, they know what that price is uh, every day. They do. They would follow those USDA reports that are generated through mandatory price reporting. Um, and I think another key component to keep in mind as we think about following those prices every day, uh, sometimes it is to keep that general tone and temperature of what's going on in the market. But a lot of times they're looking at product, uh, you know, six to 12 weeks out. And so that's a thing for very much. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining me right now is Brian Grady from ProFarmer. Hey, Brian, what's going on in the grain stocks? Yeah, uh, so, you know, the grain markets, uh, grain and soy markets under pressure here at uh, mid-morning. And uh, the bulk of the selling is in soybeans and soy meal, uh, soy oil as well. So the soy complex just facing heavy price pressure here. Uh, a couple of factors going on. First, uh, rains are moving across central Brazil and expected to continue for the next several days. And, and uh, so that's providing some relief from that extended period of, of hot and dry that they've seen through these areas. Now, whether or not it has a lasting uh, impacts uh, that's yet to be determined and, and follow-up rains will be needed obviously but uh, for the moment uh, with rains on the radar in, in central Brazil uh, price pressure is, is pretty heavy in, in both soybeans uh, and soy meal soybeans trading almost 30 cents lower soy meal futures uh, almost $15 lower in the front end of that market the other factor is that uh, crude oil is under heavy pressure uh, trading around $3 lower uh, this morning, and that's having a, a big impact on soy oil. So uh, soy complex, like I said, is under heavy pressure. Uh, that's impacting the corn and wheat markets. Corn futures uh, about two cents lower. Uh, wheat futures anywhere from a nickel lower in spring contracts to uh, about a dime lower in the winter wheat markets. All right, take us over to the livestock. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, selling pressure that we're seeing in the grain and soy markets is, is also being felt in cattle futures today. So uh, we've seen corrective gains uh, from the, the heavy sell-off that we saw previously uh, in the cattle market uh, earlier this week, but uh, um, not the case this morning. Uh, facing heavy price pressure and just waiting on cash cattle trade to develop in the cattle on feed report, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Milder selling in the hog market. All right, Brian Grady, we'll talk again very soon. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. 
It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. This is producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and we have Greg Henderson of Drovers filling in for Chip today. Hello again, Greg. Good morning, Joe, again. And uh, let us begin. First of all, I have to do a little house cleaning. I uh, have to apologize to uh, Clint Wallencheck for running out of time and for pronouncing his last name incorrectly. That's it. So I think, uh, yeah, I think Clint uh, got all of his message in and, and it was good conversation. Absolutely. I learned a lot. Yep, me too. I'm sure we're going to learn uh, a lot from Brian as well. Brian, are you with us? I am. Uh, thanks for having me on, Greg. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great to so, be with you guys. Yeah. Um, so the cattle are down today. <laughs> they are uh, down sharply, like I just mentioned in that previous segment. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a pretty volatile trade here recently in the, in the cattle market. Uh, we got the heavy liquidation pressure coming out of last month's cattle on feed report. Uh, we're preparing for a cattle on feed report this Friday afternoon. And, and uh, so kind of been uh, volatile here, like I mentioned. So we, we're expecting those those placements to be up another six or seven percent. Correct. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Reuters survey, um, that's kind of the one I use. Typically, uh, it's up 4.9% on the placements, but the top end of the range is up 8%. So, um, you know, that was the number that that tripped us up and, and caught everybody wrong footed last month. Uh, placements uh, in September, uh, which was in the October report, were up 6.1% and, and expecting another hefty increase this month, like I said. And, and uh, so we'll have to see if it lives up to the, the bearish billing. La last month uh, was a surprise. Uh, this month, they're, they're going in with much more trepidation and, and looking for that uh, big increase in placements. So, so just just for us laymen who don't quite understand all of this. So basically when you see that placement number as high as it was last month, that means that those uh, front end supplies maybe in the, in the winter months are going to be bigger than we anticipated. Correct. A absolutely. So uh, the supply side situation in the cattle market is still bullish. It's just not as bullish as what it once was thought to be. And uh, like you said, th those uh, placements, uh, you know, they'll they'll be marketings as we move through the early part of winter or the late part of winter, excuse me. And um, so it looks like early 2024, the supply situation won't be as tight. Now, everything's relative and you got to keep it in perspective. So, um, you know, it, it caught the market by surprise last month. 
Um, but seasonally, uh, as you all know, this is the time when uh, we should have heavier placements. And the other thing to keep in mind is, is that these numbers are based off year ago. And at this time last year is when we started to really um, decline the placements numbers. The feedlot numbers uh, declined year over year. Right. And we had a full year of that, full 12 months. And that ended uh, with the feedlot numbers uh, up just fractionally last month and, and expected to be higher again this month. So can we, I mean, this is an anticipation on your part, I know, but so today's down, you think the market's pricing in that, uh, that placement number again before the cattle on feed report? Yeah, I think they're just being cautious, Greg. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they don't want to be surprised, uh, with a bearish number again. And so I, I think that, uh, just some trepidation there on their part. Uh, you know, we've had pretty solid, uh, corrective gains earlier this week coming off the big, uh, liquidation plunge. And, and quite honestly, the downside was overdone. Um, so we needed some of that corrective buying. Uh, but today, uh, everything that's going on in, in the outside markets and everything, it, it just kind of lends itself, uh, to being cautious ahead of Friday's report. Talk a little bit about um, the, how this is going to impact that potential herd rebuilding that we hoped would begin maybe in 2024. Is, is, have these numbers set that back another six, eight months to a year? Well, uh, we definitely haven't held back females. And, and so um, the breeding herd is thin right now. Um, to say the least. And, and so uh, we'll be watching for uh, when that occurs, uh, when they start holding heifers back, but they're still moving into feedlots. You know, the other factor um, into the placements right now is that imports from both Canada and Mexico are up on, on the feeder cattle. Uh, so that's driving it. And then the drought, uh, you know, it's just persistent. And, and uh, so um, some of those females that may have been held back uh, for breeding purposes um, have been moved into the feedlots and, uh, because of those factors. And, and uh, you know, it's just delaying the cycle. So whether it delays it by six months or eight months or, or who knows how long, but it's being pushed back in, uh, somewhere into the future and in the distant future at this point. So if we were look, going to look for a silver lining uh, in this cattle market, especially if you're a cattle feeder, it is that your cost of production or at least your feed costs are lower than they were a year ago. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that that's one of the, the things that uh, kind of gets lost sometimes. Uh, there's two sides to it. There's the the cattle price side, and then there's the feed side. And, and uh, uh, the cattle producers know that, but the market doesn't always understand that. And and uh, so th that's something that, that has to be taken into account, obviously, when you look at these uh, cycles and, and when they uh, contract and, and rebuild and, and those types of things. So I Everything is kind of pointing at this point to the the fact that we will start to hold some females back and, and rebuild the breeding herd, uh, but that those plans have been pushed back, like I said. Yeah, and and with those, those lower feed costs, uh, since this cattle on feed report last month, that feeder price is off uh, substantially from what it was Labor Day. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, that's uh, of the complex uh, live cattle have been stronger than the feeder cattle. Um, so the, the feeders have backed well off, like you mentioned. Um, so, you know, you'll start to see that uh, um, resonate through the, uh, the cash auctions and things. Um, the difference between the feeder cattle and the live cattle is that feeder cattle are cash settled against the index. And, and so um, they have to go where the index goes to. And, and uh, so that's a cash uh, driven market, uh, so to speak. Yeah. And, and 
a, a driven by uh, what feeders think that they can um, hedge those cattle for next spring. And that came down. So those feeder cattle prices had to come down, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they, everybody talks about penciling it out and, and that's what the, the feeder cattle guys are, are doing and um, or the, the uh, finishers are doing. Uh, can they what can they buy the feeders at? And uh, what's it going to cost them to feed them all the way out and, until they're ready for market? And uh, um, so you you get a lot of the uh, projections moving forward, um, and th- and then you get the breakdown on on weights and and impacts that that has in terms of the uh, placements going into feedlots and how long they'll be on feed before they're ready for market and and those types of things. So to complicate uh, this these decisions, these marketings even more is what's going on in the pork market because. Uh, you know that's that's our chief competitor, I guess, uh, pork and poultry, obviously. But um, the pork guys, uh, the feeders, have not fared as well as the cattle feeders over the last year. Yeah, and uh, absolutely right. Those two markets, uh, while they can support each other, they can also compete against each other. And uh, so, um, you know, it, it's kind of sometimes uh, they work together, and sometimes they work in opposite directions. Uh, you know, for a period of time there the uh, the hogs uh, were being supported by the the move up to record highs in the cattle market um and then cattle backed off and and hogs uh, adjusted and, and now it looks like the hog market's trying to put in an early seasonal low here this fall uh cattle market is struggling a little bit more um in recent times and and uh, uh but you know, I, I think that uh, as we move forward, uh, we have to keep track of the the retail meat prices and, and retail meat prices for beef are record high. Um, pork is uh, cheaper uh, in relative uh, comparison. And, and so um, how that influences demand domestically in particular uh, when the consumer goes to the meat case, uh, do, do they buy beef or do they buy pork? And despite the record beef prices uh, at the retail level uh we've seen that uh, demand has held up really well um all things considered right so we just uh, the, brian we just saw a, a consumer price index and inflation was about four percent last month um and that that was less than we anticipated is that correct yeah absolutely so inflation's coming down it's still elevated um, but we've weathered the storm, so to speak. And, and uh, I think that from a consumer standpoint right now, um, while we have record retail beef prices, uh, the bigger crunch point or, or uh, uh, pain point is at the, the restaurant level. Um, and so, you know, restaurants uh, move a lot of steaks and, and steaks are a key component of the beef cutout. And, and so um, that's something we need to watch moving forward. We're moving into the winter months. So uh, as the temperatures get colder, um, while our steak consumption typically goes down, our roast consumption goes up. And, and uh, so that's something I think we need to watch as we move uh, through the winter months here, too. So I saw a report this morning that talking about the consumers in general and what they're going to spend on Christmas for their family. And it, d- despite the inflation and despite, you know, the general consensus that uh, they're struggling, they're, they're going to spend more than they did last year, just on general consumer goods. Really? Uh, yeah. That, you know, I guess it's, um, in general, um, the consumer has held up pretty well through in the face of this uh, big inflationary push. And, and while we've seen the prices start to come down, like I said, they're still elevated. And, and uh, um, but if if we see the inflation rate continue to decline, 
Um, consumer will continue to spend, and, and consumer sentiment is, is pretty solid. Uh, it, it's rebounded quite a bit. They seem to be uh, borrowing a lot of money on credit cards to maintain some of the spending too, correct? Absolutely. So the, the COVID payments, uh, they, they've dipped into those, and, and now they're dipping into their savings and, and running up the credit card debt. And, and so that is a concern as we move forward. Yeah. All right, Brian, I really appreciate it. We, I, I learned a lot, and uh, you explained things in a way that uh, e- even some of us uh, um, hard-headed people can, can understand about these markets. I appreciate it. Joe, yeah. we're back to you. Thanks again, Brian. It was great to have you uh, join us for an extended conversation there. We are going to take a break, and we will be back with Mark Gardner of Gardner Angus Ranch. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. In the morning... You're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. Uh, to hear the soothing voice of Davis Michelson sets my fears of doing this show to ease. I don't know if that's the correct sentence, but it'll have to do for now. Anyway, welcome back to Agritalk. I am Big Apple. Joe Stackler, producer, and we are going to continue. We'll be back with Greg Henderson with another conversation coming up. But first, we are going to check out a Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution and season-long sulfur availability. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic. We are in Jefferson County, southeast Illinois, where we hear that our double crop soybeans averaged around 40 bushels per acre, which is better than most around here. A neighbor's double crop beans yielded only 25 bushels per acre. And there we have it, yields in the fields. Back to you, Greg. All right. Thank you, Joe. Um, Joining me for the final segment this morning is Mark Gardner. Uh, Gardner Angus Ranch, Ashland, Kansas. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Greg. Uh, looking forward to visiting. So um, w- I've got you on here to talk about U.S. Cattle Trace, and I know you're a board member uh, for U.S. Cattle Trace. I just, uh, you and I just attended the Cattle Trace meeting in Kansas City. I believe this was either the third or fourth year of the of the uh, organization, correct? Yes, it is, and 
you know, the, the pilot project started the conversations in the fall of 2017 and, and the, the first uh, interim board was formed and um, later in 2018. But we've been working uh, on what we would call an industry-led initiative to, to build a system that works for all segments of the industry. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it needs to be done, and that's what we're working to do. We want it to be from the industry, and, and, and we design the system. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea behind it was that it the industry needs to design it itself rather than having it forced upon them, correct? Very much so. I mean, uh, we just want all segments of the industry to work together to design this system that will work for us rather than a mandate from the government. And And I think this is so necessary, and we've just come through COVID, and I think we all understand uh, contact tracing a lot better than we used to. And when we think um, the value of cattle at any time in history, let alone uh, where we are today, uh, if we have an incident and we can't trace it back, we're going to have to shut down everything. And I think this offers the opportunity uh, to to be able to track those animals and, and isolate that area and, and take care of it from there. So we're working on that uh, producer-led uh, system to design that and we're making progress it's hard work but we're getting there so your cattle are all uh, under the system correct yes they are and we how does it work explain to me you know how, how it works you know you think about going down the toll booth of, of i-70 in kansas for instance and you've got a a K tag and it, it reads it. It, it. Everything needs to be at the speed of commerce. And, and there's different types of EIDs, you know, low frequency um, and high frequency. But if you, it, it's really as simple, Greg, as, you know, like for us on our bangs vaccination and the EID from our veterinarian, that, that gives trace back. So when we sell those cattle or, or they move, uh, they go through a scanner at say a sale barn or they're processed at a, at a packing plant, that that just shows where they are. And many of the feedlots uh, today have those scanners to do also. And so it's it's really just that simple as that 15-digit unique USA number that comes in those EIDs. Um, for us, for the heifers, it's uh, it's the bangs button, and we use the, uh, the same system to, to identify all of our bulls. And we have to do that now. So when we think back to bangs, you know, the old orange clips, these actually – stay in a lot better than those old orange bangs clips and but it, it's really just a button in their ear that that allows trace back yeah okay and, and u.s cattle trace in in particular has uh, grown uh, significantly since i've been coming to these meetings and i know this last one was was probably the largest but you've got state cattle organizations like the kansas livestock association and and other state associations that are involved correct Yes, we we've, we've tried to reach out to everybody, and and um, I won't have this perfectly right, but I believe we have about fifteen different uh, state organizations, and and you know, and we we're working with the whole industry. We had meetings, um, you know, with retailers this at the meetings up there, and we um, we work with processors and feeders and stocker operators. But uh, I think one of the real opportunities for a state association is to to help be a part of this. And, and when we think about 
what we can do to make this better. It's, it's just being involved. And so, cause we're all in this together, whether you have, you know, I heard it said this week, uh, you know, bottom down with one animal or, or top down with, you know, many thousands of animals. And I, we're making progress, but we've still got a lot of work to do. So I, I know the, at this meeting, they went through an exercise, uh, disease traceability, and, and it was really eye-opening, um, you know, the differences between the two. Uh, and you participated in that exercise, correct? Yes, I was at the Kansas table, and, and the, the incident that of uh, the disease uh, was located in, in Kansas, and we just went through all the scenarios, and I think uh, you know, I've often heard you don't know how good your plan is until you have to enact it. Well, uh, it's just making people think about that plan. And when you look at that and all the what ifs and, you know, you've got cattle on the road, they're coming to XYZ feed yard and, and um, this uh, potential animal has been, been sighted at a location, let's say in southeastern Kansas. What are the consequences of that? And I, talking that plan out and the reality of it, um, helps us be better prepared and i yeah. think uh, with the system and what they showed there we can we can actually if, if the animal has those identifications our database uh, was able to, to locate and track that animal with a minute and 23 seconds mark thank you very much really appreciate you being on agritalk absolutely thank you greg and we appreciate the opportunity all right i want to thank Greg Henderson for stepping in to provide us with some valuable conversations on the beef and cattle industry today. Great job, Greg. Come back this afternoon. We'll have Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag Hedge. And then tomorrow we'll have the free-for-all.